0: Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're live. Put your pants back on, Nick. Jiminy Crickets.
1: Wait a minute. You didn't tell me were pants were required?
0: Crap. Well, just don't pan the camera down. They did that on CNN. It ended badly for him. (laughs) All right. Yeah, and I can't even blame him because who else was like, everyone was doing that. They just... Didn't count on camera angles when the Rona came through. Uh, So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So, without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Brian Thomas Schmidt, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. Did I pronounce that right?
1: brian thomas schmidt yes that is correct outstanding correct yes introduce myself boy this is what this is the part authors hate all the introverts but i've done enough of these i can do it all right i am actually a hugo nominated editor and i am a number one best-selling author and i actually have this is it's not it's behind me behind me where the mask is but there's a whole six shelf bookshelf full of my books so i've done a lot of different things over the years been doing this for about 12 years my latest book is called shortcut that's what we're here to talk about shortcut is a is a near future uh uh hard sci-fi thriller adventure about a man who has to do anything to save his family and then we are uh let's see what else i have worked with all kinds of different people from george R. r martin to uh I actually edited one of uh, Frank Herbert's books after he died, but uh, I've worked with all different kinds of people. I've even worked in romance with people like uh, like um, um, Angie Fox and others, uh, Claire Ashgrove. And I've worked all over the place. So I'm kind of known as an editor. I've got 22 anthologies to my name. This shortcut is my seventh novel. And uh, I've got dozens of short stories. And I, you know, I am frequently seen hanging out with and working with people like Jonathan Mayberry. He's a frequent collaborator. I've done Predator. I've done X Files. I've done Aliens versus Predator. I've worked with Larry Korea in the Monster Hunter universe to create an anthology of that. And I've done, I just finished my second Joe Ledger anthology with Jonathan, which actually has a story by Wayne Brady, of all people. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a cool career. It's been pretty cool. I'm really enjoying it. I'm glad. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm glad to be here. I was
2: lucky like to have you. That's quite a pedigree.
0: Well, I wow! To- I, uh, I I tell all of our guests to remember when they mute themselves to unmute it, and then what's the first thing I do? I forget to unmute myself. Yep. That's <laughs> how I'm um, so so what came first for you? Did you start off with the writing side or with the editing side?
1: Um. The writing side. I I started off uh, about 2008. I wrote a novel. It was actually a, a Nicholas Sparks-esque love story. And then I I didn't think I did very well on it. That's a whole different story. But anyway, the point is I uh, I ended up switching to this idea I'd had when I was 15 for the Re Saga space opera, which was kind of the Moses story set like told like Star Wars. And that nice. actually got published, and that's actually been out. It got. Um, a uh, honorable mention on year's best sci-fi list from Paul Goat Allen at Barnes and Noble back in 2011, but then I had publisher problems, and and the other two volumes got delayed. So we had to we finally re-put it out in 2014, 15, somewhere in that range, and and reintroduced them, and finally got the third book out. So it was kind of a rocky road that a lot of people go through. But anyway, that was where I that was when I really started um, the writing thing. But somewhere around 2012. Uh, I was knocking around ideas. I'm always an idea guy. And one of my favorite things to do is to help other people and elevate other people. Plus, I really, really wanted to work with some of my heroes. So I was knocking around an idea for an anthology with, with a publisher, a small press, and came up with Space Battles, which is part of a full throttles. It was number six in a full throttle space tales space opera series. And I ended up getting Mike Resnick for that and a bunch of people. And that was my first anthology. And I loved it so much that I started doing it, I did a Kickstarter like a couple of years later or the next year and two Kickstarters actually. Um, and uh, I did a couple more books and then I sold a book to Bain and here I am. And now most of my anthologies go major. Um, and um, I really love it. I love taking uh, different ideas from different people, seeing them explore their universe. I like to work with, you know, I get to edit Orson Scott Card or, uh, or George R. R. Martin or any number of other people that I grew up reading And I also get to invite new up-and-coming authors to be in these books alongside their heroes and thus elevate them and their audience a little bit. And, you know, they get to say, hey, I was in a a book with Jonathan Mayberry. I was in a book with someone. And it's cool. It's awesome because you feel good. You know, you're really helping people. So uh, that's how I got into editing. And now I have TopShelfEditing.com with my partner, Guy, and I basically full-time edit. That's my job. I edit edit novels pretty much all day long, occasionally nonfiction and short stories, but novels of all different genres, and that's where I make the bulk of my living and then write when I can.
0: Okay. So this wouldn't be the Blasters and Blades if we didn't ask you the religion question. There are wrong answers to this question. Uh, Nick, he's got the knife ready. Uh, He took it from Stabby so she didn't cut him. Uh, But Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know i like all three of those but star wars is where i started man that's what made me want to be a storyteller star wars was it for me i gotta be honest man i i, I love i i he, i would my cousin told me he'd seen this movie like 12 times and he said you, you you gotta see it so he took me there i was like seven right and he said i said what's it called star wars i'm like well that's a stupid name for a movie oh my god i, was so <laughs> I mean i loved it And that's what made me fall in love with robots. And I've spent a good part of my career writing about robots, too, and just did an anthology about them. So, yeah, there we go.
0: Nice. I like it. I like it. All right. That's an acceptable answer. Stabby is pleased. Um, So (laughs) then the next one is, because we are polytheistic over here, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time?
1: Hands down Lord of the Rings the only one of those three I've ever finished all the books of is Lord of the Rings now It doesn't mean that I'm I'm not putting anybody down. I love the first couple wheels of time books I love the first two George R. R. Simon George R. R. Simon George R. R. Martin. Sorry, George George R. R. Martin books but uh, it takes me forever to read a big thick fantasy tome and I I I spend so much time reading all day long that, um, I don't read them as often as I could. So I'm way behind. I will eventually I own them all. I own them all, but, uh, well, except for the ones George hasn't written, but I own them all. And I will uh, eventually get them read. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Anyway, Lord of the Rings. Long answers. Sorry. I'm, I'm, you're probably wanting short answers.
0: Here I am. No, no, no. This is fine. It's fun. So I, I will say I've learned, um, you know, everybody goes through cycles in life where sometimes finances are a little stretched, a little thin. Right now, that's a lot of us. And I realized that I have hundreds of books that I've bought but never read on my Kindle. And I'm like, huh. So buying books and reading books are different hobbies. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs>
1: We're almost yeah. separate hobbies.
0: Yeah. I have
1: a habit and my habit is not to buy books on Kindle. My habit is to buy them in person. And I, this is, it's funny. I, I just, you know, I moved in this house a year ago and had to, I actually downsized. I actually Ooh. got rid of probably a third of my library. So, and there's still some in boxes that are not even unpacked yet. Cause I, I don't have enough shelves. So yeah, I have thousands. And it's officially a library because I have over a thousand books. They say that's what, constitutes a library so I have my own library so yeah
0: and my friend showed me her library her and her husband built and she's like hey, we qualify as a library because we've got 1100 books I'm like wow I didn't realize there was a number that made you cross into library territory yeah 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 they, That's they, was, me. I didn't do that
1: either it's a thousand books I, I just heard, learned that but you know it's funny because every time I go to Barnes and Noble they're always like you should work here you're really good at selling books I'm like no I don't need to work here man I, I wouldn't any money I'd spend it already. Right here I don't think so I'd so. owe them
0: money at the end of my shift <laughs> yeah exactly um, so the, yeah. The re- books Yeah, I always liked hardback, but then with the head injury that I suffered overseas, like being able to magnify the print on a Kindle is a lifesaver. Cause even the uh the large print books sometimes aren't enough. Um so I you just go to I got
1: yeah. you. Well, I'm a big hardcover fan, but I it doesn't mean I don't read on Kindle, I do, but my main thing is since I edit all day long and I'm staring at a screen. Yeah. The last thing I want to do when I relax is stare at the screen. So I'll just literally curl up and just open that book and read. And it's, it's, I I can go sit out on the porch. I can go wherever I'm not. I don't have a cord that has to keep me attached to something. You know, I don't have to worry about, oh, if my battery goes down and I, I I have a great idea for writing later. Oh my God, I've killed my, you know, I got to recharge for it, you know, all that stuff. So that's, yeah, yeah.
0: So, the, the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, for how we first uh, discovered these these guests. And so, I actually met um, Brian on a train to Pompeii the day before Vesuvius started acting all weird. Uh, we beat feet out of there. Sadly, our tour guides weren't so lucky. Um, but, you know, th- they've been rocking it ever since. So, is that how you remember it, Brian? About like that?
1: Yeah, you know what? The, the, truthfully, we honored them later with a barbecue, and they were tasty. Hey, oh, my God, they were so tasty. <laughs> it
0: was good. Barbecue human jokes. I think he could come back, Nick. He's our people. It was, <laughs> oh, was it
1: was, uh, guys. It was, it was, it was an honor for their tribe. That was actually showing this is, respect, and we were frankly out of supplies because of the volcano. So I mean, we had to do what we had to do.
0: Had to do what we had to do. All right. So, uh, last question, because it's the new, newly part of our religious triad of religion questions. Uh, we are not knuckle dragging troglodytes, despite what people say. So, coffee or tea, and how do you take it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> give me my tea and you you'll take it from my cold dead hands thank you very so, much
0: so you drink your tea iced then i do i do i keep this bottle keeps it cold all day long i love it so do you drink it with uh sweetened or just plain
1: oh don't put that nasty stuff in here this is tea it's meant to be drank that's the way it's made like the way god gave it to us my god
0: sure. not, sure. not from the south we drink our tea sweet enough to hold the spoon up. Oh,
1: yeah, I know, man. And I every time I go down there, I forget about it and I get, get sweet tea. And it just, it's, oh, I love it's funny because I love Kool Aid and I love soda and I love all these sweet drinks, but I don't want my tea that way, man. When I'm in the mood for tea, that's not what I'm looking for. So I was
0: traveling and I, when, when I was in Charleston and they called it in Charleston, South Carolina, they called sweet tea table wine because it was such like it was everywhere. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I, do I do like, like it.
1: table wine down there. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of neat, neat little hole in the wall type restaurants. So it was definitely an experience. And if you um, ask
1: for non sweetened tea, sometimes they look at you like, what's wrong with you?
0: And, <laughs> and here's a fun fact for all our Southerners out there. Uh, if you're ever traveling and you're not in the South and you want some sweet tea, go to a Hooters because Hooters was open in Atlanta, Georgia. Not for the reason you think people, they were open in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have to have the same menu everywhere. So there's a sweet tea, even if no one drinks it at every Every shift, they make a new pitcher. It might be the only pitcher they make, but you can always get sweet tea at a Hooters. I learned that when I was in grad school. In, and that's the uh, reason
1: Savannah. us would ever go to a Hooters. We have no other reason to go there. Absolutely.
0: And the, the wings. Not for the wings. That's no, they, they're not that great, actually. But their chicken sandwiches were all right. Um, but yeah, so uh, sweet tea, That's I have to limit myself, though, because diabetes runs in the family, and my family doesn't run much. So I was like, eh, I guess...
1: He's got a head injury. It's got diabetes. It's like we could do a disease of the week for the poor guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't between have between him to and me. <laughs> I, I save all the disease stuff for Stabby. Yeah, because I, I gave up the sweet tea and started being all healthy and stuff. It's not as fun though. The healthy stuff just doesn't taste quite as good.
1: I, tea is actually my solution for my soda addiction because okay. I'm literally drinking six or seven cans of soda a day. And I rotted my teeth and I actually got implants and, um, I, I still need to lose weight and I'm working on that. But I, 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 the doctor's like, you know, you can't do that anymore and you've got to stop and you don't know, save me a, a, pardon I almost cursed there. save me a ton of money, <laughs> ton of money buying tea guys. You can get in bulk on Amazon cheap, get good tea. I buy, I buy British, uh, British breakfast tea and I love it. It's okay. great stuff.
0: That. I actually, uh, so they overdosed us on cortisone to keep us in the field when we were in Iraq, when Nick and I were there in 05. They gave you a lot of those cortisone shots in your knees if they if you got blown up a lot, because it keeps the swelling down. They don't tell you that it's probably more than you're supposed to get in a lifetime they would give us in a month, uh, yeah. you know, because we were at war. And, you know, there were a lot of other things that could kill you faster. Is um,
1: that talking so fast because you're still up high on the cortisone?
0: That's maybe. I, they used to call me the mouth from the south or motor mouth when I was a kid. I know you're shocked to hear that
1: let's have a competition. We can have a competition. Come on, man. I'm ADHD, so I get my natural high anyway.
0: Let's go. (laughs) Poor Nick. He's like, where's the mute button? Where's the mute button? So they actually actually recommend, um, for those of us that were overexposed, uh, natural medicine wherever possible. Uh, As my doctor told me, there were medicines before pharmaceuticals came around and put everything in a pill. Uh, And so I'll actually drink uh, peppermint tea with honey local honey when i've got like a cold and stuff i'll cut right through that stuff
1: well first of all it's unfortunate that happened to you although thank you for your service and your sacrifice but yeah i i mean i never knew that that's an interesting problem i didn't know about that they had with uh, soldiers um yeah they'd rather
2: push narcotics than uh offer any other it, it's easier to just give you a handful of pills and say here take this let's make you feel better
0: we used to take was it 800 milligrams of ibuprofen uh, by the handful and they called it ranger candy because it was easier to say what didn't hurt after some patrols than it was to say what did I mean who uh, are
1: you to say, I was going to say who are you to say no when you're hurt man it's like okay made yeah. the all right
0: man yeah and uh and we got I, I'd wash it down, down with a red bull set.
1: you <laughs> could be like just dead set against any kind of mind altering substances and probably if they handed me a if I got went through that and they handed me a, a joint, I might smoke it. I mean, I you know
0: I, yeah, it's it's one of those things. But yeah, so um, we normally do this a little bit more free fall, but you, free form interview style. But you, you've got such a diverse background, and you, you pointed out in the pre show the Predator mask and talked about some of the cool properties that you've worked with. So can you tell the listeners and viewers? It's uh behind you on your other side. There you yeah. go. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually a half Predator mask. It's kind of broken, but anyway, what do you want to know about my properties?
0: So, so what <laughs> have you worked with besides obviously your own stuff?
1: Well, I, you know, um, when I established myself as a as an editor, I uh, I wanted to do some tie-in stuff, and I couldn't break into Star Wars, which of course was the place everybody wants to be. They pay so oh, well. Yeah. they're all number one bestsellers and all this stuff. But uh, or they used to be. I don't think it's quite that quite that way anymore, but. Um, but I uh anyway, I, I I was working with Titan on two big thick doorstopper, you know, what we call Chihuahua Killer anthologies called Infinite Stars, which were military sci-fi and space opera. David okay. Weber, all those guys, new ender story by Orson Scott Card, Newton, David Weber stories and all this stuff, okay. And um I Titan was also happening to be the people that owned the rights to Alien and Predator. Well, they just hired my friend Jonathan to do an alien anthology. And I said, well, I want to do a predator anthology. And there was a new movie about to come out, the The predator. This was the fifth fifth movie or the fourth movie. There's been another one since that's actually better. But anyway, the point is um, I went to them and they loved the idea and Disney liked the idea. So then I did it. And then the fans voted it the best predator book ever and loved it. So I've been after them ever since to let me do another one. And last year they finally let me do, Aliens versus Predator with Jonathan, because I was the Predator half, he's the alien half. And then they also, read right at the same time, greenlit the second Eyes of the Demon, which is the second uh, Predator anthology that I did. And so it was great. I got to write in it. And I got to write the story. I'd actually written the story um, for they had a Predator app when I did the first one. And I was talking to some people at Fox. And they were talking about having me do a story. Well, then the movie bombed and everything died. Well, I'd already written the story because I got so excited about it. It's And that's the story that's in, in Eyes of the Demon. It's called Aftermath. And it's the story of what happened to Dutch Schaefer, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, after the first movie. And it connects him to everything to the second movie because he runs into, you know, keys and the, and all the IMLF guys and, and uh, gets interviewed by them. And he, you know, ends up uh, breaking out of a military kind of a psych ward, kind of a military mental hospital and, um, and chasing through the mountains of this predator in in Chattanooga. And, uh, and they're trying to chase him because they want to talk to him. And anyway, that's the story I wrote. So it was really cool because I got to bridge the gap and fill in a lot of space between the movies because there wasn't a lot of good world building going on at, at Fox with all of that back in the day. They were just kind of winging it. And so filling in some of those gaps has been kind of fun for me. And I, I I've, so I've written three Predator stories between the Alien versus Predator. I wrote one for the Predator point of view. The first book, um, Pre- uh, Predator, If It Bleeds, I did a, a follow-up story to Predator 2 with Harrigan. Predator 2 happens to actually be my favorite of the movies for various reasons. And then I got to do a Dutch Schaefer story, the first Dutch Schaefer official story that they've done in a long time. There's only been a couple they've ever allowed, so that was really cool. So um, that is cool. Then, then Jonathan Mayberry. Before that, Jonathan Mayberry had been invited to do X Files. I was the guy who, back in the when the X Files was on the air, was like, oh, I don't want to hear that crazy conspiracy crap. Give me a break. But I, so I didn't watch the X Files, right? i i did on occasion but it just wasn't my thing okay because all my friends that watched it were like fanatics and all they wanted to do was talk about conspiracy theories and it kind of i was just like i'm i'm in i'm doing my master's degree i don't know i have enough brain power for this plus you know come on it's silly some of them are silly right and then a lot of things changed in our government and different things happened and all of a sudden it seemed like conspiracy theories weren't such crap anymore and, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I became a fan well. of the X-Files but uh, Jonathan invited me to write it I barely knew it so I just literally sat down and watched all the shows and and uh did a stuff, and I wrote an episode and ended up being declared canon by uh by the uh, the master himself uh Chris Carter and uh it's uh it's in the X- third X-Files secret agendas that Jonathan did and then also uh somewhere around the same time I had pitched Larry Korea the idea for doing a Monster Hunter Files anthology, because I really like Monster Hunter Files. It's really a lot of fun. And um, he, he he we took it to Tony Weisskopf at Bane, and she wanted to do it. She'd been trying to get him to do it for a long time, but Larry had never edited an anthology. So we needed somebody to kind of work with him to do that. So we launched that. And right at the same time, I pitched the same idea for Joe Ledger to Jonathan and Jonathan. said, let's do it. So we did it together. And so that's what kind of got me into the tie-ins thing. And somewhere along the way, I actually wrote, uh, got hired to edit a bunch of stories based on Decipher's Wars. I don't know if y'all have ever uh, played the card game Decipher's Wars, which is kind of defunct now, but I, I bought a whole set on um, on eBay.
0: But, oh, uh, hold on. Can you show it to the camera again? I'm going to put it so it's just you so you can put it on the screen. Okay. That's a nice cover.
1: Yeah, it's I War like Song. It's actually called Battle of Phobos. Here, I'm not putting it in the right spot. Battle of Phobos Cadettus. And uh, mine is the first novella in this. Uh, There's three novellas and a couple short stories. There's three books. This is the third book. Anyway, I did that recently and it just came out August 29th. And um, it took years to come out, which is this is my year for stuff that has taken years to come out to come out. But those are my tie ins so far. Now, I've been pitching other things. Um, I have a pitch out for an alien novel that may or may not happen. Actually, several pitches. And um, you know, I, I still want to do Predator. I've pitched several Predator things. Um, uh, the rights are up in the air. Uh, but I have a really good relationship with with 20th century that, that owns the Predator and the people there. So I'm hoping to do more with that. And then um Maybury and I just did this second chill ledger anthology. And like I said earlier, there's a whole lot of cool authors in there. And one of them happens to be Wayne Brady, who is, you know, the famous comedian. He wanted to, he's been writing novels with Maurice Brodus. You're right, his story's actually serious. It's not, I mean, there's some humor to it but we're serious and he's a big fan of Joe Ledger so we got we got to work with Wayne and then uh, a bunch of different people in there um, uh, Ray Porter who is a, a famous audiobook narrator who does all of Jonathan stuff wrote his first story for the Ledger anthology and it's it's fan- it's like the emotional heart of the entire book it's really great and uh, we got Kevin J. Anderson and Cat uh, Richardson and a whole bunch of people so anyway those are all the tie-ins I've done so far I would like to do more but um, you know they are what they are
2: so star wars that uh like dream property still that you'd like to Jonathan
1: and I have tried to pitch anthologies to star wars because we really want to do star wars we both want to do it but they're hiring younger people these days it's hard for unless you're timothy zahn it's hard to get in at our age kevin janderson hasn't been able to do it either it's just it's just kind of the nature of the beast i've Uh, read
2: them they're horrible
1: yeah they're not doing
2: it's it's headcanon fanfic and it's it's well, how we got the last it's trilogy. It's a horrible. New novels.
1: Some of the older novels were great. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: A fan yeah. of the new novels. Empire. Squad. Rogue Squad. Yeah. I think it's. I think they've. They've really a gone. Piano? I'm not going to use that term, the W term, but they've really kind of gone for the political angle on it, and I think that's to the detriment of the story. They're trying to, to you know, correct what they see as wrongs that were done in there wasn't enough diversity, there wasn't enough that. They're more focused on that than they are on telling good stories, and it's unfortunate. Because That's how you I, get the
2: casino planet in Last Jedi. I think,
1: you can do, I think you can do both. I, that is how you got the casino planet there. So, that, and they wanted some cool toys. But it's unfortunate because, you know what, there's plenty of room to tell good stories and have diversity, and I just, I think there's a better way, and they, I think they kind of lost their path on that. But, you know, it's it's their property to do with what they want. Now, the one I really want to write, even though he's out of favor, there's Titan is doing Firefly novels. Jonathan and I have been trying to get in on the Firefly thing for a long time. Oh, I would kill for that. I yeah. would kill for it too, Justin. With... Metaphorically,
0: YouTube, please don't don't block us.
1: Well, yeah, Justin <laughs> has has turned out to be a pretty crappy guy and done some crappy things, but that universe, you know, I can separate the universe from the storyteller. I would love. me too. Oh yeah.
0: So Nick and I have this conversation all the time offline. Like we have certain political views, everyone has theirs, but in the end we read or we we watch entertainment to escape. If we wanted to be preached at, we'd go to church. And so even books with authors who I agree with politically, if they got pre- too preachy, I'm like I'm out.
1: Yeah. I'm the same, I'm the same way because I actually That's I'm going there to be entertained and to escape. I I live in that world of politics all day long. You can't escape it wherever you are. It's everywhere. I mean, I work alone in my house, and somehow it finds me here on social media, no matter what I do. So (laughs) that's what... If I want to go read politics, I'll read a book about politics or I'll go have a discussion with somebody. But it's not what I'm looking for in my entertainment. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think that it's important to tell stories that that talk about diversity and talk about these messages. I just think too often these these people get really heavy handed with it instead of weaving it into the story organically. So it's part of the tale. My whole Dobby Ree thing was actually about um bigotry and racism and a lot of things it was just disguised in a different way with the aliens and and humans discriminated against humans and all of this kind of stuff and um uh that was the whole theme of it but it was done in a way that that wasn't you know it wasn't didn't slap you in the face i think that's why people liked it but yeah. it's some people that's what that's what their voice is because that's what they have to write they've they they have things that they feel like they need to say, and they do it in their work. And, and obviously, there's readers for it; or they wouldn't be they wouldn't be selling. So, I mean, it's just not our thing.
0: Yeah, That's I not actually
1: true. People just might buy it because it
2: lines up with their political leanings. Are like, oh, this I got to support them. It's in the comic book world too. I see it all the time.
0: You um, you can do it well. Making millions. Off of it. I, I, wrote, I was going through some stuff, so I wrote a uh, story for an anthology in the horseman universe it actually got nominated for the hugo that year i just didn't make the cut like i made the reading list but not the final three or four they vote on
1: i got um, not, i got i missed the list by six votes one year and then the next year i got nominated and that was the year that then sad puppies threw me on their slate and so did the Rabbit puppies and then you know we just basically got a, a no no vote in the category and it, it sucked i honestly I didn't expect to win that year because I the only work I'd done was a co-edit with somebody else. And so I was like, you can't give it to me and not give it to her because that wouldn't be fair. How are you going to know who did what? So I was cool with not winning. And I was also up against Mike Resnick, who absolutely deserved to win. But it just became this really political thing. And, you know, I knew because people told me they nominated me that I had at least as many votes as I had been missing the previous year, plus some. And I would have made it on the ballot without all the puppy stuff. And I stayed on because Resnick said, look, you know, the rest of your life, you're going to be able to tell people you had a Hugo nomination, which is, is huge. So just yeah. part of the drama, try to stay out of it. But it was just a, it was, it was unfortunately not a good experience. But, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. But I was just going to say, one of the novels that won the Hugo in the last, after, shortly after that, actually, not that year, is one of those novels that I think got a little too preachy. And I, 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 I you know, I know, the writer gets mad. Every, I'm not going to mention the name because she really hates me because I've, I've, I've said this, but, I've had a lot of people tell me, it's a little gimmicky. That's what bothered me about it, is it just felt really gimmicky. Um, it was well-written, and her idea was really unique and interesting, but um, it just felt gimmicky to me. And I think sometimes that's what happens with it. I think if you get too focused on the, the I'm making this statement, and you lose track of the story, it, it can become uh, more of a device than a storytelling thing. So yeah. that's what I try that's to really avoid anyway. Cool. Anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. The the one that I wrote that got nominated was actually pretty anti-war. I told it from the widow's perspective, um, inspired by, you know, a, a song. And I just – people liked it because it had those feelings in it. They don't mind the message if it fits the universe and it fits the story and it it's done well.
1: well and, it's and not, even organic, it, it's it. not about – you know, the thing is I always – I was under the impression and it's not a true impression that the Nebulas and the Hugos were about the best in the business, no matter where it came from. That's not the case. There is a there is an old boys, old girls club, old whoever's club, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I, I can't say one way or the other. But the, the same people do get nominated again and again, and their friends vote for them, and all that's gone on. So what the puppies did was kind of reverse that, and they didn't like that. But it's, it hasn't changed any. They made all this big deal about changing the rules, but I don't think it's changed any. And so that's why I look to the Dragon Awards. I think things like the Dragon Awards and the Media Tie-In Awards, which they give out at, at, at San Diego Comic-Con, these are a better representation of, of people doing quality work in their field. And I think um, you know, the Dragon Awards, y'all y'all listeners can vote. So, I mean, get out there and vote for it. It's It's your chance to really say what you like. And yeah. to me, I don't really care what, I don't want to say I don't care what my peers think of my work because I do respect my peers and I have a lot of friends in the business, but that's not the most important factor to me. most important factor is what is the audience like? So the audience will buy my books because frankly, if they don't buy my books, nobody's going to pay me to write anymore.
0: Yeah. So Nick, uh, he mentioned that he was fans of the uh, second predator movie. Since you're a fan of that property, do you have a favorite? Nick, I'm sorry no did i said he said he was fans his favorite predator movie was the second one did you have a favorite
2: um obviously the original because that's what i mean that movie inspired a lot of things in my life one my love of monsters um two had the military in it i wanted to fire a 203 so bad when i joined the army and i fought and i got my chance and then i was a grenadier so i got to carry that heavy thing around all the time um i i enjoyed predators i thought that was really cool to put it on homeworld or not homeworld at least their game preserve yeah um the predator Uh eh, i don't know so one two and i guess it was
1: predators three Predator. i don't know where it goes predators is number three and then there's the predator. predator and then the newest one which is prey which that's a fantastic movie that's a fantastic i love one. prey
0: so Prey's yeah. in there so i reviews, so i didn't watch it was it worth is it worth seeing Oh, oh,
1: absolutely! God. And
0: get the get the get
1: the at least once. Watch the Comanche version where you, it's subtitled yeah. because it's 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 in the original language and it's it or the original language of the Comanches, I should say, and the Yaocha, the Yaocha language as well, which is the Predator. So it's cool. But I, you know, here's the thing: the reason that I am a fan of Predator Two as opposed to are, there's two factors. One, I didn't see Predator when it first came out. So by then I'd seen Commando and a whole bunch of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where he basically did similar things. So I was like, oh, it's another thing of Arnold doing what he does with a monster. Cool, but it didn't seem all that earth-shattering like it did the people who first saw it, right, 1987, right? I saw it a few years later. Whereas in the – putting the Predator in the city and Danny Glover, I'm a huge Lethal Weapon fan. Okay, so – clever in there, and I really liked that that ju- juxtaposition, because I thought it was really cool with the city and everything, and the Jeopardy. At the time, I, I had just been living in Los Angeles and a lot of places, so I was, you know, all of that was on my mind, so that's that's why uh, Predator 2 has always kind of had a lead for me on that, but I still, I love Predator. It's a great movie. I don't want to, people think I'm crazy, but um, yeah, no, actually, Predator 2 is, still has a warm place in my heart, and that was where I got to do a sequel for that for the first Predator anthology, so it was my it was my road. So that's also got a special place in my heart. Plus, I worked with Danny Glover. I actually worked with Danny on a show called Civil War Journal years ago, and sat and ate lunch with Danny. And he's such a nice guy. And I so you no, know he's a great I, guy. Lots of reasons why I uh, I have weird
2: opinions. The first Predator <laughs> yeah. movie I saw in theaters was Predator Two. Um, I was yeah. not of. I was way under seventeen. I snuck into it. I think. I bought a movie that was kid friendly and when nobody was looking, I dashed in and I liked it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean the city was a totally different animal. And then how they tied it in with the uh, with like voodoo culture and stuff like that and the, the gang I just there was a lot going on with it. I liked that how he loses an arm and how he treats himself. I mean, it was it was a lot of cool stuff having to deal with the predators.
1: Little inside thing, you know, the name of the first was Predator If it bleeds, which is a quote from the first movie. So when I did a second anthology, I did Eyes of the Demon because the Eyes of the Demon are coming is a quote from Predator 2. From Predator 2, yeah. So a third one, the problem is Predator's not quite as quotable, at least for a, a thing that would fit like a book like that. But I'm still looking for the right Predator's quote so that if I do a third anthology, I can, I can kind of follow the pattern. It's just kind of a
2: – I will watch that movie over and again to find it for you. Oh, you find I it like for that. me. <coughs> like- I like that movie. So but the they primary, seem to use a lot of the other catchphrases from the previous movies.
1: They do. And that. I have the screenplays. So it's not like I can't go through and read and look for stuff. That's the problem is I think that 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 they did use a lot of that stuff. And um some of the they have some great quotes. Don't get me wrong. It's just that it's hard. You have to find something that out of context works for the title of a book. And it's not always easy to do.
0: Yeah, the the Predator series was why I decided machine guns were cool, and uh, why I was a sawgunner when I first enlisted. Of course, it looks cool on screen, humping all that extra ammo. Not quite as fun as you think it'd be. Oh, I did you, the same for the grenade position or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know what's funny? Yeah.
1: You say that I when I started writing a, a series called Simon Says, which was my my procedural near future novel series right oh. before haircut, and it's a cop series, and I'd never shot. I hadn't shot weapons since I was a kid. So one of the cops took me out to a shooting range and let me shoot all the weapons in my book and all this stuff. So I could actually write a little more accurately. One of the things I shot were machine guns and one, well, there were a couple subs and an Uzi. I was shocked, man, the Uzi is one of the easiest guns I've ever shot in my life. That thing is so light and almost no recoil and just, just amazing. You can see why those guys in the movies are just, doing this with the uzis because i mean it's just an easy thing but uh yeah some of the other ones had a kick and then i shot a then i shot a 44 magnum about shot through the back wall so uh,
0: (laughs) it's like screw you screw your friend screw your friend behind the refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) the house (laughs) um the uh the aliens
1: what I meant was the uh, recoil almost pushed me through the back wall. I didn't. Know yeah, yeah,
0: I I, I feel you. Um, we'll have to do an episode where we talk about the Predator and stuff specifically. We'll get you back to nerd out with I us. Know, over. I'd there.
1: love to do that. I love Predator, man. I'm, I love it.
0: We've done Star Wars and Star Trek, but those universes are all of them are so big. Like you could do multiple episodes on the same franchise and never run out of stuff. I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Predator, Predator's got a lot of potential. There's a lot of things they can do they haven't done, and we've had a lot of fun exploring that in these anthologies. So. The novels and the comics explore
2: it further and just builds on the whole mythology of it. Like, uh, don't get
1: me started on the comics because you know the comics get to do my the anthology I keep pitching and getting shot down on it is aliens versus predators versus terminator. Oh my god, it would be so freaking cool! And they keep telling me, ah, it's too complicated with all the rights. I'm like, ah, come on, the comic book guys get to do that. If they can do predator versus Archie, which is ridiculous, they can surely do
0: this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure enough. They did a comic of Aliens versus Predators versus
0: Terminator. Nice. So I, I don't know if this is canon or if this was fan made, but I watched it on YouTube years ago. There was one where the Predator landed in like the Middle Ages and they were fighting knights that were coming back, I think, from it's the Crusades.
1: Pretty good fan made movie, actually.
0: Yeah. It's fan made. Okay. It was amazing. I thought it was There's Canon.
1: Fighting the Nazis on there too. That's that's actually decently made. But yeah, it was a pretty well made film. That little one. It was only like a half hour or less. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you, a dear listener, can find those and give us links, we'll watch it again because they were that good. But I I couldn't find them for the show notes. So So
1: I'll I'll find them for you. I'll find them for you. I I have a lot of them marked. I'm I'm the Predator guy, man. When I when I started doing Predator, I took the, the responsibility so seriously that I literally read every single comic every single graphic novel read every single novel that had ever been done all of the screenplays and so I literally became kind of an encyclopedia of predator and it was it was really important to me now the real guys are the guys at avPgalaxy.net those two guys Aaron and Adam are they're the guys that I go to with all the stories and say hey did we get anything wrong and they're 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 geniuses so if you really want to say- know, check it out yeah but I, I got into it so much I actually for my story in AVP um, Ultimate Prey, which Jonathan and I just did last year, I actually got to make up new Yaucha language that's now part of the part of the dictionary. So that, how cool is
0: that? <laughs> so what, can you shout out those guys again so we can let our listeners check them out? What does oh, that mean? Yeah.
1: Adam and Aaron. Adam and Aaron are, um, are the guys at avpgalaxy.net. It's, it's the leading website. It's, it's, I mean, Fox goes there and Disney when they release a movie because they are the repository, they have a forum there and they have old, the old screenplays you can download and they have lots of stuff. Anything you want to know about predator, they have a podcast too. I'll be going on their podcast at some point soon. Nice. Anything you want to, I've been on there before, but it's been a while anyway. So yeah, they interview all the actors and different people and they do a great job and they, um, those guys are the experts. So if you want to know anything about predator, uh, that's where you go, Aliens or Predator, actually.
0: Nice. We're going to have to invite them when we do our our Aliens versus Predator. Oh yeah, they would
1: love to. I'll, I'll hook you up. I can hook you up. All right,
0: outstanding, outstanding. Because uh, we we like getting nerdy about various franchises. I don't know. For me, if I was going to get into any franchise I could write for, uh, my heart always goes to Stargate. I remember watching the first movie in the movie theater with my with my stepdad. It's one of the few times I went to the movies with him. It was that and Last of the Mohicans were the only two times growing up we went to the movies.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I like the real original movie a lot. I watched only a little bit of the, the Richard Anderson TV show. I haven't watched a lot of it. I need to watch it. I, I was not a fan of there was a third TV show I think that they made off of that, that I tried to watch from the beginning. I didn't get into that one. There was
0: Stargate Atlantis, Stargate SG-1, and Stargate Universe.
1: Stargate Universe is the one that I just couldn't get into. I don't know. I didn't like
0: it. Oh, I loved it. It was gritty. It was dark. It felt real.
1: Really? Oh, well, okay. Yeah, it was a little less G.I. Joe I and campy. Maybe because I hadn't kept up on the other series, so I kind of was missing pieces. But yeah, that was the one.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of tie-in and, and Easter eggs. To, but yeah. I mean, it was on Fox where good shows go to die. So it was never... And this was the age of DVR. So like, <laughs> And this people don't realize it listening now where you go to whatever and it just saves your spot. And if you want to watch a show, you watch a show. Back then, you had to program your TV to record it. And it didn't record... You know whatever series you want to watch, it recorded the time slot in the channel. So if they ever bumped programming or the football game ran late or insert political nonsense, whatever it was, that means you didn't actually get to watch it, and so their ratings weren't as good. And so they pulled the show the fans loved because the Nielsen ratings hadn't caught up with DVRing.
1: Hulu, no, the DVR on Hulu does that to me all the time. drives me crazy how something runs over because of football and I only get half the show. It annoys the heck out of me. So, yeah, they st- it's not a problem that's gone away, sadly, but it is what it is.
0: Well, I mean, if you go to, like, the Netflix and the the um, those kinds of streaming services, you there's No, obviously- no, that's
1: what I do now. I, I I literally gave up my Hulu Plus Live. I'm like, I'm paying all this extra money for Hulu Plus Live, and, and I'm getting this crappy DVR crap? I don't think so.
0: All right. Well, we're about to start asking you because we've had a lot of fun getting nerdy with you. We're about to start asking you about the book that brought you here. So before we do that, we're going to pause for a moment, and uh, we're going to shamelessly show for the man. There is a thin wall between our world
2: and that of the Fae. The passions and emotions stirred by violence and combat bleed over, and the supernatural often awakes from long slumber to meddle in mortal affairs. There have always been those among us willing to meet the supernatural threat. They are the men and women of Joint Task Force 13. They hold the line between heaven and hell. JTF 13 from Three Ravens
0: Publishing. Available on Amazon. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Are we um, back?
1: Oh, we're back. I'll oh, put my pants
0: back on. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Put your pants back on. Put your pants back on, Ethel! Uh, all right. So before we dive in, I found <laughs> this, uh, this shortcut novel um, movie trailer, book trailer, I guess they're called, uh, that you did that was worth watching. So for a second, we're going to show this so for audience and i do link to it on his site so if you want to watch it again go over there the one with all the
1: video footage because that the earlier version wasn't, wasn't as good it's the one with the video footage right
0: it's the recent one yeah i linked to it on your website that's how i found it yeah, yeah okay yeah we're gonna show that footage real quick
1: an epic love story taken across space and time Can he find her? He'll do anything to get her back, even across the stars. Shortcut, an adventure you'll never forget.
0: So if you are one of our listeners and we love you all who are listening on the podcast land, uh, there will be a link in the show notes to that movie trailer on his website uh, or on his YouTube channel. Uh, so I, I highly recommend you go watch it. The uh, The space imagery was was out of this world. It was awesome.
1: To- it was all free images, too. They have all this free video at Pexels.com, I got to say. Uh- Go check it out, man. I mean, if you need to do a trailer, there's all these free uh, videos. I was just downloaded a bunch more today because we have a new we're gonna do another trailer, and then I I just got the audiobook book sample from uh, Stefan Rudnicki, who's doing the audiobook, and we're gonna do an audiobook trailer thing too. So yeah. So I mean it's really cool. And then what of hands actually did that. I, I did it with a bunch of still images, and it didn't look perfect, but it, it got the story across. And I did the narration and um my fan, one of my fans saw it and said, Hey, let me let me show you where these free images are. And he he just edited it together with that. So now I'm gonna take my hand at these free videos. But yeah, it's 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 I'm really proud of that. Um and to say this, that I don't usually do voiceover work, but the Stefan Rudnicki was so impressed he asked me to read the dedication on my novel for the audiobook. So I guess I'm
0: okay. Nice. Nice. Nick likes to do voices sometimes too. So maybe we could get him to narrate something. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, your
1: own boy. oh not that
0: kind of voices oh i'm sorry okay <laughs> uh, a little bit
2: of that a little mostly that kind of stuff entertaining type just, stuff just wonderful wonderful to see you do
0: oh and you you want to say what you typed in the side comment for the for the listeners because it's kind of funny
2: he must love that girl to do math <laughs> That's As, soon as i saw that i'm like yeah i don't think i would go that far
1: I can't even see the side comments. You guys are talking about me behind my back. I love it. All right. I'd rather <laughs> fight a dragon to find you, honey, than do math. No. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about math. Here's the thing you don't know about math. And I didn't either because I'm was a I'm a music guy, man. And I love music, but I never thought of it as math. But I'll tell you what, here's what math can do for you. This is a speech from Jason. If you don't mind me reading a little. Jason's my main character. He's a mathematician. And you he's are. coming up with a formula to make space travel possible in leaps and bounds, which I'll explain in a minute. Basically, you can get across the solar system in days or hours instead of weeks or years. And... Uh, He talks about math in the book, and this is what he says. I love mathematics because it allows us insight into the world around us, and because you can take any real-world situation and solve it. A lot of people think it's just a bunch of numbers and scary figures and formulas, but I love mathematics because it's the most powerful tool that human beings have at our possession. In physics, math allows us to understand the orbits of the planets, to send spacecraft on journeys of hundreds of millions of miles in length, and to land them in the right location. In engineering, Mathematics allows us to design a steel building or a bridge or an airplane and to know that our design will work before it's even built. In biology, math is allowing us to decode the mysteries of human DNA, prevent disease, and discover who we are. In business, math allows us to do finance, predict whether an enterprise will grow or fail, do economics, and to know that what we can do to bring prosperity and success to entire nations is possible. It, is, it lies at the heart of our computers, technologies, electrical systems, and the engines that drive our cars and fly our planes. And I believe in my core that math is a pathway that can lead us to any other solution someday, maybe even the end of poverty, the end of hunger, the road to peace, because as Galileo said, the universe is written in the language of mathematics. And God, how I love being the co-author of the universe. That's Jason's philosophy, my main character um and so you know i actually was kind of like nick man i was like you know they hired me to do this it's a long story how this book came about but basically there was a guy developing a movie idea and he needed somebody to develop it and he wanted to work with me and get a book done so they could maybe sell the book to the movies because it was easier than hiring somebody to do a screenplay so i ended up working with this guy hunt lowry who is the producer of Time to Kill and Donnie Darko and A Walk to Remember and a whole bunch of mo- really cool movies. The Brotherhood, Sisterhood of Yaya, whatever that Yaya Sisterhood movie. I can't remember the name. I'm sorry. Something oh, oh, about pants. Traveling Pants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And then, uh, then there's a anyway. The point is, he he brought me in to develop it with him, so you know it became mine as well. But you know when I, when they they hired me, it's because I was the first editor on The Martian for Andy Weir. 2013, before you guys ever heard of it, I was editing that book for him. And so they assumed, oh, he knows math and science. He knows how to make them accessible. I was like, I don't know anything about this stuff. So I actually, we actually got a grad student who was really excited about being part of something that was going to be a movie who came in and he literally wrote me scientific papers every night. I would present him the next day's writing problem. Every night he'd come home after working you know, nine hours a day, sit down and spend two, three hours in it, like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, maybe even midnight. I'd get this paper for the next day's work of science that would have a scientific paper where it would show exactly what was accurate with the science and math and where we, where we extrapolated into speculative. And that's how I wrote the book. And then he would go through and make sure that my explanations to, I don't want to say dumb it down, but to make it more uh, uh, flexible and, and understandable by common people like myself, that, that I didn't screw things up. So that's what I did. And you know what? I actually had a great time with it, but I also learned to respect math a lot more than I used to. Because I mean, yeah, it was, I was like you, Nick, it was all a bunch of jumbled numbers and you may still feel that way, but I can tell you there's a lot of possibilities with math. I didn't realize. Okay. A lot, I, um, a lot of things you can do with it yeah yeah and it's behind music well, music is all math when you think about it music really is well, all a lot math. of a lot of things that we think are like arts are really just
2: they're scientists they're mathematics yeah when i went through sniper school you know they they asked us hey what makes the, the sniper the you know the most precision shooter and Everyone's like, oh, it's because we've trained longer. It's because we've done this because we've done that because we're naturally gifted to
1: the best to gun. The
2: way of the gun. Yeah. And uh, he, we were all wrong. He goes, now, th- what makes a sniper better than your average shooters that we learned how to weaponize math? And go. I didn't believe him at first until halfway through the course when I, I had to carry a calculator in my ghillie suit to do some of the formulas for range estimation, wind estimation, spin of the earth kind of crap for some of these long distance shots. So yeah, yeah with the right math, it, you know, you're just a, you're a monkey pulling a trigger as long as the math's correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. thank, yeah, you, when for I went, thank you for your service monkey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I went through this, uh, Nick, when I went through the squad designated marksman course, that's what they told us. It's like, we're going to teach you to make uh, your rifle a Zen moment. And somebody asked what happens when they go to sniper school. And that's what they told them. You learn to weaponize math and yeah. make it a science.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I so I'm one of the things that's exciting about this book. You know, the Martian made science cool, made science for everybody cool. I'm hoping we do that with math. I mean, I
2: have that shirt, that famous okay. line where he goes, I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. Yeah, and there's I have that I shirt, it's one of my yeah, favorites.
1: There's a lot of cool science in here, too, don't get me wrong, because all of the math to- feeds into the physics and all the other uh, era science and all of that stuff. Um, but you know, math is, is such a key, and that's why on the back of the book, I, I don't think you have that, but there's a actually a formula here on oh, the back. Hold on,
0: hold on. I'm going to put you on the solo layout so you can show us.
1: There's the shortcut formula right on the back of the book.
0: Is and, it real or is it just gibberish?
1: It's actually a real formula, but there's there's actually – Here, let me, let me show you real quick. There's actually real math in here. In some of the pages, you can see some of the math, GPS figures – and different things in here, but it's written in such a way that you don't, you can skip over the math if you need to, and just, you know, uh, follow the story. But it's there for somebody who wants to dig in deeper and really dig into that stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I can really imagine your stuff. narrator trying to figure that out to make that work.
1: Well, uh, for me, the, the, the well, we actually, the, we brought back in the science guy for Stefan to do that. Um, I called the science guy, by the way, his name is Jonathan Medagian, but I called him my personal Sheldon throughout the whole writing of it because he <laughs> was working for like a defense contractor and it was top secret, or I don't even know if it was a defense contractor. That's my guess. He, he couldn't even tell me what he was doing, but I couldn't tell his name in public. Now it's different, but yeah, we brought him back in to help Stefan with his pronunciation. And in the process, we we also found a couple of things in the book to fix too. So that you know, was good. Yeah, so- uh, my personal Sheldon, and then when we were done with it, one of the he he he'd always wanted to be involved in movies. He'd never been on a studio lot, so uh, the people I was working with, Hunt Lowry, we took him on a tour of the Warner Brothers lot, and he and I hung out there for nice. a day and wandered around, and then, then got him tickets to go with me to see one of the last tapings of The Big Bang Theory. So, personal Sheldon got to see Sheldon.
0: Nice, nice. That's yeah. a happy ending. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So the story, I mean, like. I... I really like this cover. I'm I'm a space nerd. I, I check out like space.com. I read all the articles, uh, look at all the pretty pictures they take of space. They do like a space of, space picture of the day now that the James Webb telescope is up. So I'm really digging this cover. How much say did you have over picking this cover as opposed to anything else that they could have put on there?
1: Well, one of the nice things about it is because it's published, it, there's lots, lots of reasons why it's out by small press on the, on the book. Uh, but because it was a small press, was a friend of mine I actually uh the publisher got sick in the middle of doing all this prep so I actually worked with the cover artist myself so I had 100% say what was going on in the cover so I got lucky compared to most authors but I actually find that more and more there are places where you get a lot of input blackstone publishing for example gives you a lot of input on the covers and uh and uh there are places that will work with you so uh but i got a lot of lot of input on the cover and what i what i it's because the story is look it's it's not just a science story it's a love story so it was really important to me how do i do this i i, I don't think it's got solo the back put the back on for me yeah the back has a a picture of, of, of the lovers walking hand in hand and the rocket going off in the background, because the heart of this story, as Stefan likes to put it, the heart of the story is family. It's about, look, if it, what would you do to save your family? What would you do if the love of your life disappeared and you somehow knew she was alive, but nobody else believed you. And you, you, you know, you wanted to find her no matter what. And then all of a sudden you discover that the dream in this case, the math formula that, that has been your life's work might be responsible for why she disappeared, what would you do? What would you sacrifice? If the government agents say no, if NASA says no, what would you do to get her back? Jason will do anything to get her back. And he does what he has Even, to math. Do. even, well, <laughs> even more, math. Even more math. But since he's a math genius, that's not a, the big hurdle for him that you'd think it would. Yeah, it's, it, it's yeah. not a far stretch for
2: him to go that length. Um, yeah, exactly. No, that's really cool. And he it's just buy, being made buy. into uh, a...
1: He does have to train as an astronaut, which is not his wheelhouse at all. So, you know, oh. an astronaut.
2: Sorry, Nick, go it's ahead. It's like putting Sheldon in space. No, but it since it's being yeah. uh, developed as a major motion picture, tell us more about that.
1: Well, because Hunt Lowry came up with the original concept of this mathematician and his astronaut wife and uh, the disappearance somehow with this formula, and uh, he basically had the beginning and a little bit of the middle, he brought me in. Uh, the deal we made was that he got the film rights. That was part of the deal. He kept film rights. I got all the print and novel rights. So basically they, they paid me kind of an option type fee, but it was basically a film rights fee. And if the movie gets made, I get a little bit more and I get a small percentage of net, uh, which generally in Hollywood accounting means I won't get anything. But, you yeah. uh, but basically the idea was uh, that, uh, they got to make a film and I got to do this. So now that the book has finally come out and it got delayed by one of the reasons we ended up with a small press is because COVID and various things. So we're very lucky that, that it's going to be published by Skyboat media and Blackstone because they're going to take it wide. It'll be actually a, a dual release, but with, with a wide the audio audiobook and, and, you know, limited on the print, but hopefully you can get it wherever it's, I mean, it's, it's through, it's through Ingram. So you can order it in any bookstore anywhere. They just might not have it on the shelf for you. Right. Yeah, it,
0: so. Nice thing. I'm you get into libraries and stuff, too.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to be working on that, too. I'm going to be working on that. So, libraries. Um, so,
3: my question is, like, you've touched based on the math part. You touched based on the space part. Um, tell us a little bit about the romance side of things. Well, like, sure. I want to I know. <laughs> okay, well. Hey, so. I want to know. <laughs> tell me. He says as he takes a them. swig of his
0: tea to, you know, get the mood <laughs>
1: right. Of the six sex scenes? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a family. It's a family-friendly book. Generally, there's a little bit of language in it that's natural to the stressful situations, but it's not like my police procedurals where like the F word flies freely. So, for those who've read that and thought that was a little too much, um, don't worry. Shortcut is going to be something that you can probably read to your kids for the most part. It's it's really accessible. A kid is at the heart of it. There, they're, It's a Jason is a mathematician. He 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 met Laura in, in college. Laura is actually be, is a laser expert who helped him develop his formula, and then went on, on to be an astronaut. She's a trained pilot as well as a laser scientist, and they were just that perfect couple where she she just she picked up the slack where he was weak and so on, and was able to help kind of rein him in when he needed to. And he's he's the typical frustrated genius, not always the best people person, you know that kind of thing. And whereas she is a great people person, she now has retired and. From flying in the space shuttle, and now is training astronauts for NASA. When all this happens in the story, and they have a daughter Heather, who's the love of their their life, and um, so basically, um, they're just the perfect team because they work together and they complement each other. And uh, so when she disappears, of course, he's just like he's lost. The only thing that matters is, I mean, the space form is great, but this is this is the love of his life. So he's got to find her, and he's he's just he's one of those guys. He's just like I know know she's alive and then he starts getting these weird messages from space and eventually figures out that she's using coded like memories from their life to send him messages like cues from a song or different things it's pretty cool and so he's live and eventually figures out where she is and he has to go out and get her well you know there's a lot of complications whether he's going to go out or not And whether he can go out with the government craft or not, because you know, just launching a spaceship, at least you know the way they've always done it it takes years and years of development. It's not like you can just go do it. So that's unless
3: you're Elon Musk.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why there's there's a reason that there is a uh, a SpaceX on the front of the book. So uh, um, he may he may well use a uh, a call in a favor from an old colleague. But the point is that they get to space whatever it takes. And uh, they go through this whole struggle to figure out how to get there. And uh, I guess I kind of spoiled a little bit, but not, not too much. You should still enjoy getting there. But anyway, um, it basically is the, the thing that compels the story where, where you know, Stefan said to me today, he said, it's kind of what gives it its pathos is the whole heart of it is about the lo- man's love for his family and, and who wouldn't do anything for your family. And that's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. And what he learned, what he's a guy who's he's such a genius. He's not that good with people, but you know he's so he's he's not good at working with people or relying on others the way his wife is, except for his wife. So she's the one he needs. So, but along the way, all these people come alongside him and help him with his formula, help him to get to space, help him to save her, do all this stuff because they love her. And by the end, he's like, you know what? We did this together. I couldn't have done it without you. That's, that's part of the message of the story. That, you know, I, we all need each other and it's kind of a, it's kind of a nice, you know, message uh, that comes out, I think uh, over the course of the story, you know, he learns that, that he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of people backing him up and so does Laura and and he's grateful. So that's really the heart of what the story is about. And in, 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 in the meantime, it's like, you know, the whole time it's a suspense story. There's a lot of things happening. He, 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 that whoever took hers try, might might try to take him, and you know, and they don't know who who it is, and they think it could be at first. They were attacked in a park. It could be those gang guys over there, or it could be this, or they, could, you know, they don't know. It could be one of his his competitors trying to sabotage him. You know, it could be hell. It could be that stupid Ellen Musk is doing some crazy thing, or it could be some other guy. They don't know, you know. So there's a lot of interesting things about it. What's funny about it is I wrote this, started writing this book in 2016. And 2019, I finished it. And then COVID shut things down and we weren't able to get it published. So I, the contract expired. I got out and we went with a different publisher, brought it out. I revised it. Well, at the time, the idea of, of Richard Branson and Musk and all these guys sending up regular ships was was future. Now, SpaceX is launching like once a month. At the yeah. time, I thought, you know, when is it? You know, we're going to see that. But we're going to imagine a world near future where we get to that. Well, now we're already there. So the, they not really have ships that are set yet to go in deep space, though. So there's a little bit in the book about how that happens. But the point is that um, uh, it's interesting the things that can happen in just a short time. So, yeah. you know. Anyway, if, the, um, is, the story is, is, is as scary as it is for some of you guys to hear about, hey, hard science, hard math. The fact is, it's basically, if you enjoyed the Martian, it's the Martian with less foul language and... A little more math than science, but about family. About family and loving your family.
0: So that's any what Any space this potatoes? Is. What's that? I've got Irish family, so I have to ask. Any space potatoes?
1: I don't think there are any... No, they didn't cook in space. There was no time for that. The mission's actually a little shorter because of the shortcut. Oh, I was going to tell you what a shortcut is. So a shortcut is basically based on the theory of what's called polaritons. Polaritons are microparticles. And a shortcut... Basically, works like this. I was going to show you the diagram in the book because it actually is a pretty cool little picture. Here, you'll have to put me on again. I don't yep, really. yep. see this little diagram. Oh, here it is over here. No, over here. No. Hello, Brian. Where is it? Uh, There. <laughs> no, I'm, just favorite, folks. I'm really bad at this. Okay, where is the little. <laughs> Jeez, Brian. Here it is. You, is got it, you got it. You got it. Can you see it? Okay, sorry. Yep. Yeah, I'm a professional. Don't try this at home, people. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I used to work. I used to be in film school. They're all laughing at me right now. Anyway, the point is, um, the idea is you take a a set of particles in one place in space. And you literally replace it with a set of particles equal from another spot in space. And in that way, you're able to take the entire ship and all of its contents and move it in space in giant leaps. Okay. Okay. So you can actually move across great distances in a second or a few seconds. And it's it's kind of like um, a different way of it's not even it doesn't even involve light speed or any of the typical tropes. A lot of people say it reminds them of the, the Star Trek transporter, but it's not really displacing any matter in the sense of like scrambling your atoms. It's taking empty space and, and taking the ship and moving it into the empty space, and then taking the empty space and putting it where the ship was. And that's how they, that's what a shortcut is. And so they shortcut across the universe. So that's the science conceit behind it. And it's based on a thing called polaritons, which are microparticles. Polariton lasers are actually a really serious area of research that, that that promises this kind of possibility, but they're nowhere near this level yet. And uh, basically that's that's the whole theory. Once they find, there's a short story that I wrote that's actually free and available called the max factor you can buy it on amazon or you can get it free there's various places to get it free sign up for my newsletter for example and i'll give it to you free it's a prequel story to shortcut and it basically tells the story of how they they finally put the player ton lasers into the theory and figured out how to make it work so the possibility was done and it's a jason and laura story so anyway so if
3: you had to pick the actors to play your characters what actors would you pick
1: it's funny i just called the studio today and talked to them about this because i wanted to make sure i could even answer that question because people keep asking (laughs) all right well the strike is going on so none of this don't hold me to any of this if if, the question she asked was if i could pick so i'll give you what i think all right i think that um um the perfect the person that i pictured for jason was either gerard butler who's actually a little old for it but jerry's an old friend of mine i actually worked with jerry on film and um or ryan gosling would be perfect in this role for jason he's he's actually a he's a gourmet chef and he's a math genius and you know he's he's in good he's in good physical shape he's a good looking young guy so he's not as geeky as you think but i i think those guys could pull that off one way or the other i think especially gosling he can do the geek thing as well as he can do the other if you don't know. i love him yeah, and- did
2: he just do a space movie not too long ago I
1: think he did. He did, he did I Armstrong. know that Armstrong. The, he did first, <laughs>
2: Armstrong.
1: Yeah. The first and man. then
3: Gerard Butler did Geostorm.
1: Yeah. And he actually uh Ryan also, but Ryan's good in everything. He did Lars and the Real Girl. He did the notebook, which is one of my favorites that he's in. And he's got the a lot of range. Of course, Don't he did anybody. Barbie. Everybody knows he's Ken now, so you know he's done that. He's but anyway, <laughs> um, Ryan Gosling for for Laura. It's a little harder, but I'm always picturing somebody like, for me, it's she's someone like Sandra Bullock, a little younger than Sandra Bullock probably. And no offense, Sandy, you look great, but uh, but you know she's in her mid-thirties and uh, uh, somebody like that, someone normal, or even Renee Zellweger, somebody who's normal, like an everyday girl uh, around the corner, kind of a girl you see walking down the street. That's who I would picture. Um, we were
3: just talking about a movie where Sandra Bullock and Ryan Gosling were in uh, Murder by Numbers. They were together in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a pretty good, it's a little lesser known film, but it's a good, it's a pretty good film that I, I have I'm
3: that. the resident queen of horror. So if it's well, I've, got any scary movie.
1: You you know I I've got it up in the noggin. <laughs> I own it in my voodoo. It's actually on my I don't it in digital, so I have it. But yeah, the only other characters that I I can tell you is I wrote a part for Don Johnson as the older astronaut who helps, who maybe may or may not be a spy, who helps Jason go out into space to get his his wife or wherever he needs to go, and okay. uh, and and so he has to actually work with this guy, and that's Jimmy Jimmy Burnett. I wanted to name him uh, a little closer to. Sonny Burnett, which is the character from Miami Vice, the, the undercover yeah. character. They said the, the, Hunt is actually best friends with Don Johnson. And he said, Don will do a Jimmy, but he won't do he won't do another Sonny. He won't, he won't. So I had to change the character name. But anyway, uh Dreamcasting would be Don Johnson in that role because he's supposed to be kind of the, the Playboy old school astronaut that you really can't get away with anymore, but he redeems himself by helping them with this situation. Um and then I wrote um uh I, I wrote Peter Etz, who's the uh, the assistant in the lab that helps Jason with all his stuff. He's kind of the the main lab guy. That to me is Jim Parsons, who is Sheldon, of course. I yes. just ever since I saw Jim Parsons, I always saw him as Sheldon. No offense to him, his performance was just so he so embodied Perfect. it. But when I saw him in Hidden Figures, I thought there's a lot more here to this guy. And I, ever yes. since then, I've been picturing him in this role of Peter Etz. So those are the people He's that a wonderful actor. actor. What?
3: You can turn on your mic. Go
2: ahead. No, I was saying Jim Parsons. He's a wonderful actor. Cause I've always kind of like, um, you know, typecast him in my head as Sheldon. I mean, my daughter named her car after Sheldon. Cause it's awkward. And, but that's Smart the pro- and the all problem. this other
1: stuff. But you know, but I've seen him in other
2: stuff. But he's amazing.
1: Yeah, but playing that kind of role, that's the problem: is you get typecast, and yeah. that's probably why he decided to call it quits when he did, because he could have gone in for years playing that role. That show was popular, but you know, he was starting to get other things and realize there was he needed to stretch his wings. And he, yeah, he's done some great other stuff. But you know, for me, until I saw Hidden Figures, the only thing I'd seen him in was as Sheldon. So he was Sheldon to me. So. and you know, it's Big funny because so behind uh, the scenes on Big Bang Theory. They did a lot of, like, jobs and, dan- and he was always the one that danced. Actually, it was Johnny glecky who didn't want to do the dancing with everybody, but, but, but uh, Jim Parsons was always out there doing it. So it was kind of funny because I was like, oh, Sheldon, who dances? That's kind of, you know. So there's this whole other side to him that you get to see,
0: you know. Nice. It's weird because you started with the the novel with the conceit that it would be a movie, so you you had to think of that. Whereas for most author, most authors on most projects, that's something they retroactively do after the fact, right? Like yeah, have- but I mean,
1: it changes how you write in a sense because I had to write. I had to think bigger. I also had to keep the cast a little bit smaller, and I also had to think uh, to a little bit. I thought in terms of budget and sets, which is only because i really wanted them to actually make my novel as close as possible into a movie rather than just and they they're going to do what they want to do they have the right to do that and and when a bunch of people get involved it'll change but you know i came up with a, an ending that everybody loves and the stuff that happens there's a lot of things that are going to surprise you that happen that are different than anything you've seen before and we were able to do that and i think it's pretty cool so um uh cuz a lot of people comment on it. i've never seen uh, first encounter quite like this. I've never seen this kind of thing. The results of this—it's interesting. And who you think the bad guy is uh, doesn't become clear for right away. You, there's a lot of different possibilities, so that's part of the mystery of the thing too. So um, it's 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 just a lot of fun uh, to write that. But yeah, um, I I tend to write in a movie structure. I went to film school and I learned how to write. I won't get too into writing because I know that's not what we're doing here. But I. There's a thing called the three-act structure, and I, I, it's the basis of the save-the-cat theory that you hear about. It's the basis of, of the seven-point theory. Every, those are just new ways of explaining the same concept, and, uh, and that's pretty much what I, I all my stories are based on. Uh, it's ingrained in my—when I think about story, that's just how I think about story. So that is how movies are based, so it wasn't that different. But it certainly did require us to think about things in different levels that I hadn't. But I also went to I got to go to out to the studio and I went to I went to Caltech and I went to Houston Johnson Space Center and did research. And I actually got to go to a lot of cool places, check out Houston so I could write it better. And so I'm, I'm, I, I really love doing location scouts when I write. So that was the first time I got to do that real heavily, except for that. After this book, I started writing the John Simon series here in Kansas City, and I, I do all kinds of location scouts for that. But anyway, it's funny. The John Simons came out, you know, a couple – 2019,
0: this book was still sitting there. So I actually wrote this before that. So it's annoying. So you've created this new drive, and I've actually read a lot of sci-fi. I've never seen a warped – well, I've never seen a space drive that works quite like what you're describing. Most people go with the – holding space-time Einstein line, and they sort of hang their hat on that. And then you've got Miguel Alcubierre, the uh, Mexican physicist who came up with the Alcubierre formula, which justified warp drive because he was a Trekkie. And then modern scientists said, well, you know, that takes too much energy because it uses all the energy of the sun in its lifetime to fuel it. That's obviously not feasible. So they waved some quantum hand waveium at it. And now that's a little more efficient if you believe in these special particles that may or may not exist. I've never seen something quite like this. Um, It's clear you didn't go to hand university with Nick and I. So how did you get the idea for your engine? Well,
1: now Hunt Lowry had hired a guy named Lewis Friedman. Lewis Friedman was a colleague of Carl Sagan. All right. He's a, he's one of those guys. He's written like expert books on space and stuff. And uh, Lewis was consulting with us a little bit through the, through rose rock films and he's the one who suggested polaritons might be the most promising solution but it was actually jonathan madagian and i who sat down my personal sheldon as i call him who sat down and worked out the science of it and mostly him like i said he i have science i have like 15 or 20 scientific papers he wrote me on this novel i still have them we actually have a contract. allows us to do a science of shortcut book if the movie gets made we're going to do a a book about the actual science behind it because it was so cool it was the funnest process for me to see real science being applied and then how we get from the real science to making the story work staying as close to real as possible it was the funnest thing and i i'm hoping to do more of that because it was really really cool and it uh the science informed the story and the story informed the science at the same time. It was a really cool process. So how we came up with it was really just starting with the idea of these polaritons and how could that possibly work. And then, um, there were several things you look at, uh, uh, scare, uh, what's the Einstein theory of, uh, uh, freak, freaky object at a scary distance or whatever it's called the, that theory, uh, that, that, that theory was part of the idea behind it. Uh, I know I'm screwing up the name of that. I apologize, guys. It's escaping my mind at the moment. But anyway, there's a whole lot of um, things like that, that that we just started building on and came up with this idea. And it's a pretty cool concept, really, when you think about it. Um, being able to just pick up a, a ship and its contents and then just put it in another space. But it takes a lot of math and a lot of... It's kind of like being a sniper. And You know, you know, Nick, what you were talking about, you've got to do all these calculations in planning before you do a jump, and then there's an AI system on the ship, rapid response system that can make minute adjustments on the fly. If all of a sudden they discover, hey, a star blew up there and we can't go there, we're going to have to skip around it, or there's an object in our way as on our when we're just doing the shortcut and we're gonna you're gonna we're gonna blow up if we land there, we're gonna land in the middle of an object and then implode or whatever, you know. So all of those are part of the factors that involved. So that's where a lot of the math and stuff comes in is they have to calculate a certain depending on where you want to go, a certain number of jumps, shortcuts that have to be done to get there. And then they have right. to do all the math and all that.
0: So what you described because no, you actually, don't want to... what you described is quantum entanglement and the quote is spooky action at a distance.
1: Yes, quantum entanglement. That was it. Yes. Spooky action at a distance is what I was trying to get at. Thank you very much. Yes, you I, you I read to a swap lot. Your ship first, son.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've read a lot of uh, white of the white paper. Basically, where they take the science and they make it idiot proof. I read those versions.
1: Yeah, well, this is kind of what he was doing for me and yeah and there was a lot of that and it was cool spooky act, See, you can see i need to be idiot proof because i can't even say spooky action in a distance correctly but anyway i mean you know uh, working with this guy who's a science genius it was so much fun and we literally worked together for three months almost every night on this stuff or every other night as soon as i needed science i'd get him on the phone and it was it was awesome and he's such a nice guy so
0: we'll have to see if we can get him on to talk nerdy science with us I oh, I'm sure
1: fun. you can i'm sure john would, would love to do that he's actually a filmmaker now and he's uh-huh. made a movie called The Web of Life, I think, with Corbin Burnson and a bunch of people. He actually—that was his dream. They made an indie film. They actually shot this film, so I'm sure he'd come on. Oh. And he you would probably, I don't know if it, that's not really sci-fi, though. But you know, he could talk about a bunch of different stuff. I'm sure he'd love to.
0: We'll have to see what so we can get. Would,
3: would you get on a spaceship and go for a flight with Jason?
1: Would I? Yeah. Yeah. Would Andy Weir? No. Andy Weir, I will tell you flat out, he's afraid to fly. He's written one of the great science fiction epics. He's afraid to go. He doesn't even like to get on an airplane. Andy Weir will flat out admit it. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like it. Me, yes. In a minute, I would do it if I thought. You know, here's the here's the things you have to think about though. One of the things about shortcut that's cool is if you. I I I had a story in my Beyond the Sun anthology, which was my second anthology way back in the day, and uh, and this guy. Uh, God, why is his name escaping me? Anyway, he wrote this story, a really good story about. The consequences of a guy who spent years as a space pilot doing hyper jumps, and how he'd come back every time he came back, his daughter had aged like a decade or anything. Oh, yeah. How sad it was to you have to make that choice, and you make the sacrifice of missing all these chunks of time with your loved ones. People, somebody else would be dead that he knew that he didn't know. You know, that he he didn't know he'd never see him again. All of that. One of the nice things about shortcut is you can do it in a way that if if you plan right, you you might not have to face that consequence. You could always mess up, but you know, so that's one of the nice things because that is one of the consequences. You know, astronauts, a lot of these people that are talking about going to Mars, they're talking about years of their life yeah. that they're going to spend doing it, and um, they literally are going to have to make that kind of call. Am I? That's why A lot of the astronauts that they're picking are younger and single. I, I think oh, wow. for reasons, you know, I, they don't want to leave behind their family.
0: Nick, right. that uh, that science that he's talking about was what the uh, retcon justification for the twins Luke and Leia were, uh, where the apparent age difference was because he never left the planet and she did, and it changed how they aged.
2: Yeah, um, that was a part of Interstellar that really kind of broke my heart too. Um,
0: oh, that's right. time he
2: took off, they they went to that one planet where one hour was seven years and they left that one dude just sitting up in the, the orbiting craft. He was there for like 20 something years and they cuz they got kind of messed up on the planet.
1: Yeah, that's what actually that was some really cool stuff about Interstellar. I did not like the last third of that movie. The last act of that movie. I thought it and I went off the deep end, but I really liked that all that that part of it and and the whole uh, beginning of that film. It was fascinating for me. Um yeah, so have was. you
0: you spoke about the Mars, and then we'll, we'll get back to you know bringing this to a close. But did you see that William Shatner is hosting a reality TV show where they like get voted off the island kind of deal? But it's uh, all these famous and semi-famous actors and um, influencers or whatever and living in a faux Mars colony. The whole nine yards. It's out in the desert, I think. Uh, in the really? Sahara.
1: I had heard something about it, but I haven't actually
0: I've, seen I've it. I've is heard it about fun? it. It's not out yet, I don't think. Oh. I, I've been watching for it. Uh, i might even subscribe to wherever's hosting because it's on a streaming one of those streaming deals i might even subscribe just to watch it because there's the according to the the people that saw the advanced copies there are scenes where shatner goes full shatner as the host
1: yeah well i that i can believe that shatner's a kid. he's one of those <laughs> all guys. The, commas used. the commas yeah all the, all the
0: commas, commas use <laughs> I,
1: I just want to say i can imagine that happening anyway no that, you know i I uh, I kid because I do I do like William Shatner. I just watched the rewatched the entire T.J. Hooker because I it was a nice flashback for I me. I love I, that. I loved that show as a kid. Oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and and I loved Heather their Locklear as a kid too. And she was young in that show. was fun. Oh. Anyway, so uh, uh, <laughs> you know, all, I, She's I was, so hot, though. you know, I actually I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna actually put a P.S. on my. You asked me earlier if I would go. You know what? I have a fiance and two kids now, and I spent you know, 52 years of my life alone and thinking after a terrible divorce uh, in 2011, I would never have kids and never have a life. And the truth is I met somebody uh, during COVID and uh, we're, she, they're coming here. We have the visa. We're just waiting for the, the visa to get approved. And um, she's the love of my life. I wouldn't give her and these two kids up for anything. They're actually teenagers but they're they are I, they're my kids, as far as I'm concerned. I love these two kids, Ishii and Kenji and, and May. So, you know, truth is, if they asked me to go out and do that and I had to give them up, I would stay. I wouldn't go. So, this is actually my dream. I've always wanted to um, have what Jason had. And writing about it really reminded me how much I wanted it. And the the miracle is that somehow in the middle of COVID, we found each other and we were a good match. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, the truth is... I, I wouldn't leave them for a minute because there's a lot of things I'd sacrifice because my whole having that, the happiness and peace and the lack of stress it gave me has really given me a new center in life. And a lot of things that used to matter and stress me I don't, don't anymore. And one of them is, you know, as long as I'm a success with them, I, the rest of it doesn't matter, but that's the heart of the family I put in the story. That's the heart of the family that matters to me. It's the heart of the family I grew up with. My, my parents have been married for like, 56 years, you know, I'm. that's, that's the dream that I've always had. So if you like that kind of thing, that's who Jason and Laura are.
0: That's the heart of this story too. Shortcut. So. So you mentioned, in, uh, go ahead.
3: I was saying, I absolutely love that me and Nick actually found each other during the pandemic as well. And I could not imagine my life without him. So uh, last question that I have for you though, is what is next what is next in this universe? Like, are we going to continue it on, or is this one and done? What's What's the future? Like?
1: I'll answer that question, but I have to make this one joke first. You talk about long distance relationships and meeting somebody during the pandemic. That is spooky and at a distance. I'm just saying I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that we just found <laughs> out is a quantum entanglement. I'm sorry, I had to say that. That's right. And then and then the, uh, the no, the entanglement part's the fun part, but we won't go there. Family show. Anyway, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I knew we liked him.
1: Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. I always tell people my initials are BS and God has a sense of humor. Cause I can do it
0: <laughs> anyway.
1: So uh, the, the, the next thing is I just had a meeting today with them about it because the studio required me to have a contract where I, I could not do any sequels because they don't want me to spoil it. They want the right to do the sequels, but um, I'm actually going to do, I think a story about an astronaut who lost his family and wants to go out and, and gets volunteers for a mission that he he thinks he'll never come back from. And he doesn't care. His family got killed in a tragic accident while he was in space. He comes back. He's suppressed. He's still, And the way he gets there is shortcut. And so Jason helps him get there. It's, it'll have a different character at the center than Jason. And it's going to be kind of a side story and shortcut. But that's my next um, project I'm going to write in this universe, I think. And uh, we're working out the details of that, but that's the plan. And I think it'll be a really great story. The trick with writing this universe is because family is the heart of these stories, you have to find another story where that works. So if I can't do a story with Jason and Laura at the heart of it, I have to find another one where family is at the core. And so the whole novel will explore the background of this guy remembering his family and his life with his wife and his kids that he's lost as he's going out and deciding whether he wants to live anymore or not while he goes on this mission he plans to never return from. All of that. So that that's um, the next um, in this universe. When I get it right written, well, that depends on well, that depends on y'all because if y'all buy this book and love this book, um, then it will go. Now you uh, you said something earlier. We I was gonna address this more. The audio book comes out October seventeenth. The book comes out September fifteenth. The audio I got really lucky. Stefan Rudnicki, who is you know he's one of the the Golden Ear. Earphone award many times. He's won Grammy's. He's won Hugo's. He's one of the legendary audiobook guys. He was doing it when they were on tape, like on cassette tape, folks. Those you can explain to your kids what that is. They don't even know. Uh I had you the other day. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's funny because I have this right here in my office. This is what a cassette tape looks like. I have the original Star Wars radio play that was done on cassette tapes right here. The original PBS. Oh, wow. Huh? huh? How do you like that? How do you like that? There? 1977. There's the original radio drama on cassette tape. So there you go. I'm so jealous. I got to listen to that once
2: in like my mid 20s. And I was like, this is really good.
1: I wonder if they've released it on CD because I'd read those to CD. I, I hardly use a tape player anymore. But I somewhere along the line, I bought this. It got smashed in a move, unfortunately, but I still have it. So I'm really happy because.
0: Oh, no, the box looks you know, great. So yeah you would appreciate this. The unofficial NCO motto in the army was: "If you can't uh, baffle them with brilliance, uh, was you know you can't dazzle them with brilliance. Baffle them with bullshit. Baffle them with bullshit. Yeah, well, you would fit right in.
1: All I can tell you is this: I always tell people, I tell my family this all the time. If you're going to come and talk to me and you're going to try to play with my mind, you better walk tall and carry a big
0: shovel because you're going to be <laughs> knee deep in it real quick. I'm just saying." You put that line in a book. Walk tall and carry a big yeah. shovel. I think big I shovel. did
1: actually. I think it may be in the Simon books. I don't know. John Simon is a character I wrote who, who who's a lot like. And his robot, he's a technophobic cop. He has to work with an android partner, and who's humanoid to find his 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 partner who gets kidnapped, and uh, the android decides he wants to be more human because you know of course. Simon resents the hell out of him. He's a tech. He doesn't want to work with any tech, right? So he he the the precocious, estranged, young 14-year-old daughter of Simon says, well, watch these cop movies, and uploads all these cop movies into, into Lucas. Lucas George is the name of the robot. His head. So <laughs> Lucas, Lucas learns all these cool cop phrases and starts using them, but he doesn't know where to use them. He doesn't know what's appropriate. So you know, he's trying to help interrogate a, a, a suspect. He's like have you ever picked your teeth and p- picked your toes in Poughkeepsie? Which is the line from French Connection. He starts quoting all this weird stuff and, you know, go ahead, make my day. You know, just add a note. It's like, like you cops don't talk like that. You can't talk like that. So there's a whole lot of funny banter in that. It's kind of a lethal that, weapon. That's
0: out. kind of funny that you say that because Nick is a, uh, is a a federal agent himself on his day job. So now oh, he going really? have to read yeah. that because he just spoke his language.
1: Oh, well, you should check it out because that I did a lot of, real ride alongs and research for that. And I worked with an FBI consultant. I really tried to get it right. So, um, hopefully I, yeah, I did. I'll, I'm-
2: I'll probably laugh harder than the regular audience. I mean, like if law enforcement reads it, they're gonna be like, cause when you were saying that I'm already figured, I'm seeing situations where you're trying to get information, you're trying to do the law enforcement action and your partner's just making nonsensical statements.
1: Oh, dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: People laughed at me. People said, cops don't really talk like that. But when I went out on the ride-alongs, they totally do. The cops were totally firing off the one-liners when they could.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we come up with some some gems of our own, too.
1: Oh, the running gag at the time when I was doing the ride-along. This will crack you guys up. This is when Pokemon Go first came out in, like, 2017. I'm riding along. Well, we come upon, and there's cops using – all of a sudden, we're like, where are they going? They're code three. They've got lights and sirens on. They were chasing a Pokemon monster using their cop car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they actually, I remember when that There's came out. I got fired city. for that in LA. There's well, uh that became a...
1: that in Kansas city. If people knew who they were, but I don't know their names either. So.
0: That that actually happened. Uh, some of the navy bases local to me in the Hampton Roads area, where they had to be like, I don't care what Pokemon you're chasing, you don't get to go into classified secure areas to Because ch- they had they caught a couple sailors like going into secure areas that
1: seriously I people heard. were obsessed, you know. But the cool thing about riding along oh, yeah. with cops is they do fun things. Like I rode along. Their cop car was a Mustang. Uh, no, a char a charge dar- Dodge Charger. It was a Dodge Charger. Oh, the so all- Yeah. The first time he put on the uh, the lights and siren, I uh, rolled the window down and said, "Yeah, I got to have my Dukes of Hazard moment." So you know, hey, the cherries and berries. That's the best time. He looked. He looked at me and he said, "I cannot believe you just did that. Don't ever do that again." <laughs> <laughs> I bet he did that. He did that in uh,
2: emergency vehicle operations at the academy, and did the same thing because I know I did when I got to he, put yeah.
1: working. He
2: certainly him had to the floor. The
1: other... Oh, every time we ran into other cops, he would tell them about it. He he got a big kick out of it. So he's yeah, now he a he real... did the first time he went code
2: three. He knows he did.
1: Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> we all do it every
2: time. The first time anybody goes code three, and it's pedal to the metal, and you got the cherries and berries blaring. Yeah, you're you think you you're. you're martin briggs you're tj hooker you're you know sunny you're you're every person in a cop show that you've ever seen yeah yeah Paint I mean, on the ceiling Woo!
1: Anyway, what i was saying what i wanted just to make clear is that there's a great audiobook coming out i just got my first listen to it there's gonna i'm gonna put a, pro, a thing together where you'll get to see a tease and it, it is up for pre-order on amazon now but anyway um Stefan does an amazing performance of this book. So, if you like the audiobooks, check it out for sure. Shortcut on When does audiobooks. it
0: launch one more time for listeners? That,
1: that's, on, that's on the 17th of October. The book comes out on the 15th of September. About a, a little less than a month later, the audiobook's coming. It's only because we got started on the audiobook later. Stefan, I was starting to say, Stefan came to me. He worked with me on Robots of the Ages, which is the book I just did with Robert Silverberg about robots that I was talking about earlier. And he, he worked with me on that. We were talking about that and And he said, "I saw this thing on your wall about shortcuts. Um tell me about that." And I sent it to him and 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 asked what it would cost to get an audiobook made and uh, and talking about it. And uh, he said, I want to do this." So we ended up doing an audiobook of it through Skyboat, and it's really cool and uh he loved the story he loved it he that's he's the one who really told me you got to tell people it's about family because he's at the heart and the message of this is all the people are believable in all the right spots and they're just relatable and it's just really a lot of fun so
0: i hope you guys feel that way too if you check it out okay so uh, i already
3: have him adding it to the
0: cart <laughs> she buys so many books because of these interviews she's gonna hate that i let her come on the podcast by the time we're done you No. Know,
1: you probably could have read it. I'm working now. on the library. They are, but he said he you guys don't read it before, so you know, I'm just letting you know he has it. So
3: <laughs> I'm actually a a book in hand person, not yeah, just oh because like so. I'm dyslexic on top of ADHD, so I get bored oh. a lot. And if I shut down my um my books on my tablet, I will completely forget that they're there. Whereas if I have a an actual book in front of me. Know that okay, I liked that yeah. book. Let me come back to it.
1: I never thought um, about that. I do that too. I maybe that's my ADHD. I that's why I don't read on Kindle as much either because I forget they're there. I, I never I forget watched. they're there. Yeah,
3: I own the entire works of Edgar Allan Poe on my tablet and I forget that I own it until my I son have, comes home with a project. I'm like, hey,
1: I get free <laughs> ebooks all the time. I load up my 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 Apple books and my Kindle and my Nook, I have tons of books, and you know, I forget about them all the time. And every once in a while I'm yep. like, I buy a physical copy, and I'm like, oh, I already had that book. Well, okay.
3: <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. But here's the other kicker. So I actually inherited all of my great great my great grandmother's books, her cookbooks, her regular books. I inherited all of them. And I like the smell of books. I'm that person. So I, I too, will
1: I am too I will go so through a store and I'm like. May is always it's, saying, May is always seeing me read and I'm smelling the book. Why are you smelling the book? I'm like, it's just, it's so good. It's just, it's something good. about the paper and the ink. It's something about you can it.
0: smell
3: you
1: know. it. And so the you classic clearly, books are even better. The classic books are, you know, there's some, so, of course, so every you, once you, in a while you get one that, that used to be owned by a smoker, that's that's, that's a crime. That's a crime. Cl- really Clearly,
0: you guys have never uh, been in the um, ancient and uh, archives because I was a classically trained historian. So when I was going to grad school, I worked uh, at Villanova. I worked in the archives and some of those books were hundreds of years old. And let me tell you, they do not smell good. <laughs>
2: uh, the ones that I went to the American University Museum in Cairo. And I went to their archive section, which was a giant room, something out of the mummy. And yeah, it it stank.
1: You're echoing for some reason. Just FYI, Nick, I don't know what's going on
0: there. Stabby <laughs> <laughs> forgot to mute because they're sitting side by side. Oh, um,
1: that who's in that other chair? I knew she was there somewhere, but I didn't realize. Yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so, sometimes they're they're answering each other, and because we're having the conversation, and they forget that they're talking to the camera and not to the person sitting beside them, which is why it gets weird. But it's part of the charm. Uh, well, you know. <laughs>
3: Yeah, every now and then you, you, but do only on the, video. The video, like no, it's
1: this. Fine. I just didn't want him to freak out later, or whoever does the text stuff, and be like, "Ah, who forgot?" The no, guy? no, no.
2: Jr. does the text stuff, and I love freaking him out.
1: Oh, Jr. does. Okay, well, poor Jr.
0: So part he's of the got reason other
1: health issues, and he's got to deal with that too. Poor guy.
0: We actually don't edit unless there's a reason. We've had a couple times where, like, the CIA said we had to edit out because uh, apparently my joke about the person actually worked for them. Oops. I thought it was a joke. I mean it was clear that it was a joke, but uh contractor doesn't always mean what you think it means. So like I thought it was I, have to. That, I
1: thought maybe you know you said your CIA tells you you I'm like, oh crap, Nick 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 got carried away. Uh oh.
0: Yeah, probably. There's there's the time he I, talked I, about uh, a certain um base that shall not be named because when we started talking about it, all of his tech went haywire for like a week.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had to order new stuff and then that went haywire, like so whoever my handler is, is like, "Mm -mm, we know it's new. We're still going to mess with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When we go offline, I'll I'll tell you, I'll I'll type it in the chat for you. Um, Anyway, uh, Maybe that'll even still ping him. Who knows? But anyway, um, as we wrap this up, so you mentioned the aliens. How much do we get to see of your aliens in this one?
1: Um, The alien encounter part of the story is a huge part of, it's most of act three. The difference between this and the Martian is that most of the story on screen takes place on earth until the third act when they go into space. And that's when we get the first encounter and all of that kind of stuff. And I guarantee you that you've never seen an alien like this before. I I did something I worked really hard. I said, I really want to do something that nobody's ever seen and the attitude of the alien and all the different stuff. And so I tried to be as innovative with that as I tried to be with my plot points. And so I know Michael Capobianco, Bianco, who's an old school sci-fi writer, read it. And he said, I've never seen anything like this before. This is cool. It's something new. So I'm pretty proud. I, I, I don't mean to brag. I'm just pretty proud of it because. It's hard to write something original these days that told you know that touches on new stuff. And every once in a while you get to do it, you just feel good about it because you want people to not say, oh, it's the same old thing. Here's
0: something new. So speaking of same old thing and something new, so this is the one time where we'll ask questions and dive into your writerly mind. So when you go about creating aliens and fantastical creatures, like how do you go about creating them? Because this is one I find fascinating because it sort of delves into how you think as a creative person. So do you like create something completely new out of whole cloth? Do you let mother nature inspire you or do you like steal from actual lore and myth? How do you create these fictional beings?
1: How do I create them? Sorry. I need to plug my thing in. So I'm plugging a cable in down here below me so that I don't lose my uh, iPad in the middle of this interview. Cause it's starting to get low and better. Um, well, Honestly, I just look at your picture, and I say, oh, well, there's... <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Uh, taking- uh,
0: You're I'm- one of us. We like you.
1: He's the only one not on screen, so I had, I had to go there.
0: You know? I broke the camera. It's true story.
1: That's, that's right. It's a true story. Yeah, yeah. I saw him earlier, and, and I had to go redo my makeup and my hair. It was terrible. I couldn't even start the show. <laughs> <laughs> please, for God's sake, please mute your picture. For God's sake. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is the first time I've ever talked to JR, so, you know, hey, we're old friends already. But anyway, um, uh, the way I come up with them is, um, you know, I think about all the aliens I've seen. I think about my X-Files stuff. I, I look at the research that is available online about aliens, and I try to think of, um, different ways, um, to, to do something that's different, but usually it's inspired by something I've seen. And yeah, it can come from anywhere. It can come from nature. Um. It can come from any number of things, you know. Um, when I wrote the saga of Davy that space opera thing, I, I, you know, I had a version that was cows, and I had quats, Q U A T S. Those were cats, basically. They were <laughs> like cat. The the cats that ran around the neighborhood were quats, you know. And then I had a cow. It didn't moo. I can't remember what sound I came up with, but it was basically cows right out in the field. You know, I'd come up with these different things, and I'd give them different names. Um, the first, the first thing I wrote, I wrote that, and I had to give a glossary because it actually confused people because I used all these different terms. So I've kind of learned to tame that back a little bit. But in this case, I, I don't mind saying uh, I don't. We don't know who our alien is or where he's from. His name is Althon, or at least Alfin, Althon. A L T H O N is the only name he uses with us that we can pronounce um he doesn't really have a firm corporeal form if you know what that means basically his physical body is in question questionable we're not really sure what he looks like so that's a interesting aspect of him um so um like i said you know i, I tried to come up with unique and different things that 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 weren't stereotyped but it but throw in different elements, and 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 so I yeah wherever I can pull it from, I can pull it from. And sometimes, frankly, I just do what I do with my BSing. I just make it up, and I'm like, okay. But you know, when you have a science guy working with you, he tries to help you make it more realistic. So I think hopefully we came up with that. But that's uh, that's the other thing is you know if I'm writing a book without uh, scientists working with me, <clears throat> then I just kind of make it up, and and sometimes logic goes out the window. I don't care. But when you're when everything else is based on real science and math, you really try to. To make sure that it's consistent. So, um, so it depends on the circumstances to answer your question.
0: Okay. Well, clearly we're winding this one down. So, was there anything about Shortcut, a Jason Max thriller, that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we uh, we bring the show home? Oh, uh, uh,
1: uh, other than uh, please buy it. No, uh, no. Uh, I think. Uh, I don't know, yeah, God, yeah, man. Now, now here I am really, really stumbling to tell you. I don't know, I love this, I'm really proud. It's the best book I've written. I'm really proud. I worked really hard on I never put more time into something. and um, it's a different thing than anything I've ever written for in some ways, but um, uh, I just think it's it's just a lot of fun and I think it's a it's one of those thrillers that that something new will come out of for you. and um, like I said, it's got the love story at the center as well as the action. And there's not and then believe me, there's pretty much there's pretty much nonstop action throughout. It starts I know it starts a little slow, um and and builds, uh, but once it gets going, um, it's pretty much a nonstop ride. So uh anyway, I hope you know, if if you read the first two chapters, it feels a little slow, just hang on because we
0: haven't hit the uh, rock and roller coaster part yet. Uh, but we're getting there. So anyway, okay. so I will say that when you you approached me uh, uh, before we had even scheduled this, and you were looking for book reviews because I, I do some on my website, I'm like, man, I'm not really a thriller guy. I'm mostly sci-fi and fantasy, uh, and I was I pointed you to some people that I knew reviewed that kind of stuff. But after listening to this, I'm like, maybe I'm gonna go read that when the audiobook comes out because that hey, sounded no. really cool. So all right, That's this is the part. I can
1: tell you none of the guys you recommended wanted to read the book. So hey, I need some reviews, man
0: okay <laughs> speaking of reviews, this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platform. They help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. And it really does matter. He mentioned he was publishing this through the small press. Uh, and small press live or die by those reviews that help tweak the algorithms. So it really does help. Uh, and if you write something in there besides this book good and you put a little bit about why you can sell the next guy and, and to be fair even negative reviews can sell it i've yeah. seen reviews where they say too much cussing and i'm like dude i'm down uh i got a review that said this was like a 12 year old with adhd wrote gun porn i'm like please let me put that on my cover i mean sometimes the reviews can sell a book so so you can participate in the process by by leaving your thoughts and that's kind of unique thing.
1: my mother or my wife or kids. I think you could pretty much say what you be honest about anything else.
0: <laughs> fair, fair. I have so got someone who, who critiqued mine and said, I should stick to fanfic on Reddit, but <laughs> I, they don't review anything nicely. This is one of those people who everything they review, they hate. So that's I'm like, good well,
1: Goodreads man, because you, you never get a 5 I'm the only guy on Goodreads who gives anybody a five star. Everybody's they're like, I love this book. And they give you a three star. And you're like, what? Uh, three stars, the best you can do, and there's five stars, people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, all right. So, how can listeners and viewers and uh readers find you on the wild wall of interwebs if they wanted to stalk well, you?
1: I make it pretty easy because I use Brian B R Y A N Thomas T H O M A S and then S for my last name, Schmidt. So, that is my handle on Twitter, formerly Twitter now X. It is my handle on Facebook if you're Facebook.com, Brian Thomas S. You can find my page. And um, and then I use my full name for Instagram and the Brian Thomas S on uh, TikTok, so uh, it's pretty easy to find me. But if you just go to brianthomaschmidt.net, the links to all that stuff are there. There's pages for each of the books. It's got the book trailers, book interviews are linked on there, so you can actually listen to the radio shows and the podcasts I do. I'll put a link up for this one when it comes live. That all that stuff is on the page with the book I talked about, whichever book it was, and on my media page. So um, you know, you want to find me. I'm not that hard to find, as uh, as JR said. You can find me. I'm out there.
0: He was one of the easier ones to find. I like it when that happens. I don't want to go full detective stalker mode um, when, when I got to track you down. Although sometimes authors with pen names, I've been able to find their real name because I went a little overboard trying to track them down. So that was kind of... Well, this is
1: a real name. So there you go. I can't even hide behind it. Is
0: yeah, record. yeah. I mean, it just, I guess it's, I've gotten good at internet stalking uh, as part of this podcast. And we named this episode a thrilling ride on the crazy train. I meant it to be hyperbolic. I didn't think we'd actually go there, but I mean, self fulfilling prophecy because this was fun.
1: Well, wow. Thank you. I've, never, I've I'm I'm on the crazy train. Well, well, there's a new one oh. for it. Hey. We
0: joked we that we're the crazy train, and now you're the conductor. So
1: I figured all the spying you do, you had Nick do. So you know, I'm impressed if you were the one who did it. To find he's them.
0: too busy, like doing his real job to do that. Not <laughs> so to, it's
1: not allowed to do it in private practice. You can only do it right. So
0: oh, mostly, my luck, <laughs> I would
2: be I'd be in a uh, law enforcement program. Apps, and I'm trying to research the guest, I accidentally put your name in, like the NCIC, the National Criminal database. I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to get fired. Oh, this guy has
1: warrants. Never mind. I wonder if this guy guy did what? We're going to bring that up on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's too much research. Too much.
0: Uh, So so mostly it's Stabby and I. She is the queen of Google, uh, in addition to the queen of all things murderous. and um, If Nick goes missing, I'm just saying, check her search history. Just gonna throw oh, that out. You'll never him.
2: find me in a, and it'll she'll it'll never be pinned on her.
0: Oh. So my mom watches all of those um, crime dramas that the ladies like to watch, like how to murder your husband or whatever they're called.
1: And if, if he's funny. really devious, she won't stab him either, because I mean you don't want to give it away. It's to be too obvious. Speaking
0: <laughs> of, you'll get a kick out of this. There's actually a female murder mystery author who murdered her husband in a way she wrote about in her book, and that's how they caught her. The detective liked your books. So he's like, "Wait a minute, I recognize this." And he read the book and sure enough, it was like I
1: was just reading about there's a lady who who poisoned her husband and she wrote a book about grief about her son mourning her father. Yeah. yeah. We were just talking about that. She just yeah. watched there's that one and, and he got busted. So I mean, I mean, how how stupid do you have to be to write about your crimes? But anyway, maybe maybe the murder mystery guy lady figured out how to do it because she was doing all that research. You know, we writers do all that crazy research about how would arsenic work and how would this work? Maybe she figured it out because she actually did the research and then said, this is a good idea.
3: <laughs> the, the trick is my search. Cause I'm, I'm horror. I'm true crime. I'm nerdy, geeky, all that stuff. Like I'm all of that just combined into one. So you'll, one day you'll have me search researching um, a true crime thing that's going on. Like, in the headlines and then the next thing is something for my son's homework
1: <laughs> i have a friend and a guy i go straight for who actually is uh he works for the one of the military uh the air force and he's he's a spy and he knows how to do all this stuff right because he could always find all this information and he knew what i searched for he knew all this stuff so now whenever i type in a search if it's going to be a weird thing the first thing <laughs> I type is 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 I need to know how this works. I'm I'm researching this for a book as part of the search. And then I go back later and do the search without it. But that way it's in my search history. So I figure if they're looking at it, they'll see, oh yeah, he's just an author.
3: (laughs) They they go after Google all the time. So like my search history probably (laughs) confuses my my FBI guy so bad. I'm sure he's sitting there like, That happened in Atlanta, but then you're searching how to do algebra. And I'm like, yeah, I'm dyslexic. Algebra is confusing.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) I actually had, so when I was researching for my very first novel, the the publisher sent back the critiques. And one of it was, I don't think this is how uh, this kind of sword action would work in a zero gravity environment. Um, you need to fix it and get the the physics right so you can show the body dying properly. And it happened to be a decapitation scene where they were using a ceremonial sword to kill the invaders, right? So I'm talking to my aunt, who's an ER nurse, sitting in the Starbucks, just sitting there drinking my whatever, mocha, a lot of BS. Uh, and I'm talking to my aunt on the cell phone about how to cut a head off. And I don't notice it's getting quieter and quieter, and everyone's scooting farther and farther away from me until an officer is like tapping <laughs> the table and he's like, Is there something you need to tell me, Mr. Hanley? And I'm like, Do I know you? And so he starts oh. telling me like people are concerned you're talking about killing people. So I'm like, Aunt, I gotta go. And then I start talking I'm like it's okay. I'm a writer, I'm just doing research for the scene. And I turn the, the page around where I've got the editor's notes. And he goes, Oh. Okay, that's all right. And he's the one who told me his wife writes um, illicit romance novels. I think we call that politely. So he's like, one thing I learned from her is if you're not on one government watch list as a writer, you're not doing it right. Yeah, what? well,
1: it's funny because my dad trained paramedics when I was a kid. So I literally have seen decapitations and all this stuff. So it's funny. A lot of times when I used to watch, one of the reasons it took me a while to get into horrors is, is is back in the day, you know, when when I was younger, I'm 54 now. That they didn't care about all that research. Nowadays, the audience is much more savvy about it. So they really do have to put some things into it. Sometimes, sometimes they still don't give a crap, but it, it you know, I would always look at it and say, Oh, please. It would never bleed like that. For God's sake. It would be all different, you
0: know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> same,
0: so, uh, anyway. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I've hung out with a few paramedics and uh yes, they definitely critique the shows, but uh, yeah. as we, We bring this home. I promised Nick that this would not be another three-hour episode, but here we are uh, at almost two hours. You can find us on our Linktree at linktr.ee, linktree backslash Blasters and Blaze Podcast. Again, linktree slash Blasters and Blaze Podcast, where we link to all the things, the bitch, the rumble, Madam Stabby Stabs account, where if you want to send hate mail, she is perfectly willing to read it, but when she responds and you cry, that's not on us. You asked for it. We are on Twitter. Yep, we've got plausible diability. You reached out to us. Uh, has anybody actually reached out yet?
3: No. Um, so I've had a few of our authors follow me and they chit chat with me about my current um, watch lists. Um, but outside of that, no, nobody wants to play the hate mail game
1: with Matt. You should see Dad. what she typed in the chat, people. She's terrible. My God.
0: <laughs> you can also. She's just like,
2: like this chick is crazy.
0: <laughs> We're on Twitter at, or X, whatever, at sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. It's almost like that's what we talk about, people. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com blasters and blaze podcast at gmail.com serious inquiries only now we've got somewhere for you to send your hate to we have a facebook group where all the shenanigans happen back uh, slash groups slash blasters and blaze podcast again slash groups slash blasters and blaze podcast we have a facebook page which i haven't figured out how to give a dedicated url so just do the little typey type in the searchy search you've got this people and finally, we have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters, dash and dash blades. I had an, a reader reach out and be like, you know you get slash and backslash and you're getting it all wrong. And now I'm so paranoid, I don't even know what's what anymore. I'm going to have to look that all up.
1: Be sure and tune in for next week's episode, the 57 different ways that Stabby might kill Nick. We're yes, forward. that
0: actually, you know, a nice place should be an episode, Nick. We've got Halloween coming up.
2: Uh, We'll talk about it in stalkers. (laughs) uh,
0: You can support the show on our website for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash. uh, You know what? slash author jr handley again coffee.com slash author jr Hanley. be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co hosts doc saska nick garber and madam stabby stab duly caffeinated they will drink the tea until they can float away on a river of goodness all right oh nice pleasure having you here Thank you, dear listener, for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and the absentee Doc Seska, I am JR Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge your love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. We appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you for having so me. Oh, it. well, it's nice to meet you guys. I uh, I had a great time too.
0: I really. I did. I did not think I would be as interested in a harder science fiction thing. I'm like the audience will dig it, and we'll have fun with the chat. But like, you solved it, man. Well done.
1: Well, I'm glad because you know what? It's really a book. It's it's, it's hard science. The story. It, like I said, it's there for you to, it's there for you if you want to dig in, but you can totally enjoy the story without uh, being lost in it. So that's the idea.
0: That's the way to do it. I think people. All
1: right. And we're out.